0: Now, all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis.
1: Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Carolina Newsmakers. I've been looking forward to this program for some time because it's a topic that I think a lot of people are going to find fascinating, and we have an interesting guest who is an expert in this area. Uh, The topic is college athletics, and our guest is Justice Bob Orr, who served as a member of the North Carolina Court of Appeals for eight years before becoming a North Carolina Supreme Court Justice for 10 years. Uh, recently, uh, Justice Orr has become very involved in representing students before the NCAA, and he is well aware of all of the problems of the NIL, the name image likeness problem, the transfer portal, the conference realignment, and all that sort of thing. And so we're going to have a very interesting time with Robert Orr finding out the ins and outs of what he thinks is going to happen to college sports. So welcome to the program, Justice Orr.
2: Well, Don, thank you so much for having me. I, it, it's always a treat to, uh, to be on your show.
1: Well, you know, we, we talk about college athletics and we are all big fans of it, but it is radically changing. And of course, it, there's always been questions about how it fits the college mold uh, as far as being amateur in nature. And of course, the the major sports, football and basketball, are becoming more and more uh, difficult to place in that uh, that uh, arena of calling it amateur anymore. Uh, just sort of an overview of, uh, of what you're feeling about how we how we got in the mess we're in.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think the NCAA and the member institutions, and I always like to remind people, it's not like the NCAA is some uh, separate entity. It it is a membership organization in which uh, all of the schools we love are members of it and are, in essence, the the governing board. And I think for a number of years, there was this sense of comfort that they could essentially run it any way they wanted to, and as sports evolved and more and more and more money uh, came into the system, uh, the governance of the NCAA, which arguably is supposed to be the uh, the presidents and chancellors of the universities, uh, sort of punted, shall we say, to use a sports analogy, to the athletic world and the media world, and The universities, for the most part, at least on the academic side, in my mind, lost control. And no one has been able to figure out, particularly as it's accelerated dramatically uh, over the last few years, how to rein in what is arguably an extraordinarily successful enterprise, but one that, that really is, for the most part, it's far away from the concept of amateurism and being an extracurricular activity so uh i I think it was just a loss of of institutional control
1: well you know i think uh one of the things that always bothered me and this was 20 years ago was the fact that uh, there were such rules that uh were in place that just didn't really make a lot of sense uh i uh you know, a football player or a basketball player, they train year round. Now they may not have practice, uh, organized practice year round, but they train year round. And so they're not able to go out and get a part-time job and supplement their scholarship funds. And it always bothered me uh, along the way that we weren't uh, recognizing the fact that uh, they had, they didn't have the ability to earn extra money. Um, Well,
2: yeah, they didn't have that ability. And, and it was in, in, Infringing, and in fact, were punished if, in a lot of ways, if they were uh, able to get, you know, extra money one way or the other.
1: The other thing that always bothered me was, uh, uh, as you know, I had the pleasure of serving on a a university board of trustees for a while, and and I I fussed at the trustees, my fellow trustees, when they were blaming the students, and I said, "Wait a minute, we're dealing with eighteen-year-olds here, and somebody comes up to them." And palms a hundred dollar bill in their hand and says nobody will ever know about it and and we actually think that they're they're all going to turn it in. I mean, <laughs> that was naive on our part.
2: Well, it, it it certainly was and unrealistic in the way the NCA attempted to enforce it. I mean, you know, getting pizzas, getting extra books. I mean, all of these were uh, impermissible benefits that supposedly gave uh, one school or the other a competitive advantage uh, and you know the victims really were the were the various athletes uh who were trying to struggle along as students and also do their job as football players or basketball players
1: and of course it, it stretched into other sports and and of course uh, the haves and the have-nots and the blue bloods and the non-blue bloods and so forth right. and and of course, uh uh the, the, the real culprits in all of this are the fans. I mean, because we put such pressure on the schools to win.
2: Yes, yes. We we are we are at fault. Uh everybody complains, but then the reality is it's uh it's it's the fans who are driving it who are willing to pay what are pretty exorbitant prices. I had a friend look on StubHub. For a really uh a good pair of seats for the UNC Charleston Southern basketball game. And there was a pair listed for nine hundred and fifty dollars a ticket, you know, to go see see the Heels play Charleston Southern. I mean, uh you know, I mean the money has just gotten unreal and and between the TV contracts. I mean, they got to spend it somewhere. So coaching salaries have gone through the roof. And, and when I say institutional control, I think in reality, central campus, whether it's at Chapel Hill or, or NC State or pick any other university, uh, has very little control over athletics. It's the athletic department or the uh, particular uh, athletic group that's, that's running the program.
1: And, and we all know that there's uh, been several uh, academic uh, institutions like uh, uh, the accrediting groups that have sort of turned their back on this thing and just sort of let it go
2: yeah I, I mean it, it there's there's a golden goose out there and nobody wants to be the one to say that they're responsible for quote killing the golden Goose and uh it, like I say it's it's a it's a problem as you alluded to in the opening of the show, what do you do? I mean, you know, they're they're now saying, let Congress solve it. Well, frankly, from my experience, the last institution in this country that I would turn to to solve a really serious <laughs> problem is Congress. Uh, they can't even pass a budget, much less solve college athletics. And so it, it's, I, I really keep, and I don't mean to be unfair to, the the fine men and women who lead our universities but they're the ones that are going to have to come together and say look we got to figure this out we can't leave it to the uh to espn and cbs and fox sports uh or agents or or lawyers or the congress we got to figure out what works for our schools and the young men and women who are attending these schools
1: and as you pointed out, the NCAA is us. It's it, it, it is the member institutions. It's not a third party. It acts as a third party, but the truth of the matter, its governance is in the hands of its members. Well, give us a little brief uh, background on how the name, image, and likeness lawsuit came about and what it's resulted in.
2: Well, I, th- I think it probably arose in part out of the abandoned litigation. Uh, which dealt with a video game being uh, uh, being sold around the country in which images of former players were being used in, uh, in, in different ways, and the players were getting none of the revenue from, uh, from that. And so the, the concept of being able to control your own name, image, and likeness and being compensated for it, uh, I think just sort of naturally arose out of that, and wherever there's a lot of money, and let's let's face it, there's a lot of money, as we know, in name, image, likeness. Right now, the uh, uh, you know the lawyers and the the activists got involved, and so they started bringing lawsuits and saying, "Well, look, you know, you can't punish this uh, young man." I remember, I think it was a University of Florida football player, somebody in Florida, some athlete who wanted to have a podcast and he was going to make a little bit of money from his podcast and the NCAA shut it down as as a violation and said he wouldn't be eligible. And so, you know, the NCAA uh, took what I thought was a very unreasonable approach and then once the litigation got rolling, just sort of threw up his hands and said, okay, it's the Wild West. And so we went from unreasonable restrictions to virtually no restrictions or or very limited restrictions in the nil uh business you know which is providing benefits to athletes but not in sort of a rational reasonable way that that's good for college sports generally uh, in the broad base of athletes
1: And some of this actually started legally when some of the schools began to build what I would call luxurious uh, dormitories with great uh, (laughs) benefits that the average student wasn't getting. Suddenly that was legal, but it wasn't legal to pay them anything. And, of course, another thing that always bothered me was the the matter of uh, covering uh, parents attending games. I mean, you know, some of the parents lived miles away and wanted to see their students play, but they couldn't go to the games because they didn't have the money.
2: Yeah, it it, it was the unreasonable, unreasonable and irrational differences between what was okay, what was not okay. And again, uh, and, and I will kind of keep coming back to the theme, the people leading our universities are the smartest people in the country. And, you know, they're proven leaders or they wouldn't be president of, you know, 50,000 student universities. And I, I I don't understand why they can't come together and say, all right, here are these irrational, unreasonable distinctions. Let's come up with a system that benefits the universities and the sports, but most importantly, benefits the students. And, you know, uh, a, a friend that we both know, whose name I won't mention, when I first got involved in representing players, said, remember, Bob, the first thing we have to do is protect the institution. And I said, no, the first thing you need to do is protect the students that are, are put in your charge. And the institution has to has to have that as its priority. But, you know, it's a huge frustration. I mean, I love college sports, but it's a mess, as we now know. That's why we're talking about it today. Uh, And, you know, it's not like the popularity has declined, but it certainly is. It's not the system that I think we'd love to see.
1: And the playing field is not level. And no, that, no, no. that bothers most people because some schools can afford it and some can't. And, and I don't think anybody really likes that either. even if you're going to one of the schools that can't afford it. Right. Our, our guest is uh, Robert Orr, and, and we're talking about college athletics, and he has gotten right in the middle of all of it. We're going to be talking about television and television revenue and what's happening there when we come back with the next segment of Carolina Newsmakers. And we'll do that right after we take time out for these messages.
0: A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council.
3: Uh oh, Brad's buzzed. Oh, yeah? Yeah,
0: he's starting with the woots. <laughs> and now a speech.
2: I just want to say that friendship is about heart, heart and brain. Who's with me?
3: Good thing is, he knows when he's buzzed.
2: And my brain is saying, when it's time to go home, somebody call me a ride.
3: Love that guy. Me too. Know your buzzed
0: warning signs? Call for a ride when it's time to go home. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's
1: Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Our topic this week is college athletics. Name, image, likeness, the transfer portal, television, the NCAA. We're covering it all with Robert Orr, who has uh, become and has uh, uh, skepted uh, the role of looking after a number of students uh, in their controversies with the NCAA and has developed quite a, a background of knowledge. And, and we're so glad he's going to share that with us. Television, of course, is... Uh, uh, you know, is the driving force of all of this because there's a huge amount of money involved and uh, conferences now are getting huge amounts of money, but that's not even. And, uh, for example, the Southeastern Conference uh, schools get a distribution that is more, uh, 15 or $20 million more than the ACC uh, per school and the, the, and the Big Ten gets big contracts. And so we've got conference realignment in addition to all this, because everybody wants to be a, they want to get their share.
2: Well, they, they want to get their share, but to the, to the average fan, uh, they, they scratch their head and say, why can't UNC or NC state or Duke or Wake Forest operate a, a sound athletic program on $35 million a year? Why do you have to have fifty five million dollars a year. Yeah, you can spend that twenty million, extra twenty million, but if you look at what they're spending the money on, it it historically is not really uh for education. They're building twenty thousand foot weight rooms instead of twelve thousand foot uh weight rooms they're built Clemson spent sixteen million dollars on sort of a uh walkway into the stadium for the players to get off the bus in coat and tie, walk through to adoring crowds. Then they go in changing their uniform and come down the hill for the football game. But $16 million for a walkway. And and so it. And I, I, another point that I'd like to make, Don, I, I, I checked on this recently. When I was at UNC, the baseball team played 25, 26 games a year. Now they play... 60 games a year, maybe more if they go to the Omaha for the NCAAs. You know, if you're playing 65 games, obviously the cost of operating that program is substantially higher. And so the question is I mean, do they really need to play as students 65 games a year? Does the football team need to play 12 games a year versus 10, I think, which it was at some point in time? All of these are are generating expenses, but they're jumping through the hoop of the sports networks and the the various conference television networks because they have to present, uh, provide programming. And you know, unfortunately, it really is a business, and it's not an uh, an extracurricular of academics. It's run like a business. It's um, promoted like a business. And, you know, if, if it's going to be a business, then the the universities need to recognize it as such and respond accordingly.
1: Well, you know, the, the television revenue comes, of course, from several different sources, uh, including the, the networks, uh, uh, getting, uh, retransmission fees, which we pay through the, uh, Cable systems and so forth. So it's not just advertising that's involved here, and a lot of people don't understand that. Um, And and of course, the other thing that uh, is interesting uh, is that it's so much driven by football rather than basketball. Although basketball is very popular and a lot more basketball games, but the truth of the matter is, football game lasts about four hours, and a basketball (laughs) game lasts two hours. So you've got more commercials.
2: Yeah, well, that's for sure. Well, you know, there's litigation going on, Don. That that is seeking to give the athletes a percentage of this revenue, you know, separate and apart from NIL contracts that they might have. Uh, and there are those that think that if if the plaintiffs win in that lawsuit, it'll in essence bankrupt the NCAA for back wages or back benefits that they they might have to come up with. But it really does put it into an employer-employee situation. And I don't think any of us like that concept, but it may be time for at least the major revenue sports to be uh, acknowledged as run-like businesses, and then you can have proper contract negotiations between people representing the athletes, people representing the universities, uh, and... That's not really what we want, but unless somebody's coming up with a better model, uh, I don't. I don't. That seems to be where we're headed,
1: really. You know, the other thing that we alluded to a little earlier—it's not a level playing ground either, because coaches' salaries. I mean, you know, it's getting so a uh, head coach is uh, a really successful head coach, twelve to thirteen billion dollars a year, right? Uh, at, well, at schools like uh, say Syracuse or well, let's take East Carolina and Appalachian State. There's no way in the world that those schools can afford those kinds of salaries. Uh, I'm not even sure that uh, some of the schools in the ACC can keep up. Uh, so the playing field is not even, and I'm not sure that the real fan really likes that. I mean, you do, it's kind of fun every once in a while to go to a game where you're playing somebody that you're going to beat up on it everybody gets to play but the truth of the matter is most people want to go to games that are going to be competitive right
2: well i i think that's one of the things that disturbs me about the talk of of conference realignment and carolina going to the southeastern conference and uh and you know other schools going to the the big 10 or big 12 or big 14 whatever it is these days uh and and you know you're you're putting the schools in a, in a situation where, because of the money that we were talking about, you you now have to get into a competitive situation. Do I want to play Georgia and Alabama and uh, Texas A and M on a on a regular basis as part of the conference? i personally don't then i'm an old guy right i mean i'd be perfectly happy with the old acc of playing wake and state and, and uh duke and uva and and, and the like and so it, it's that that chase for prominence prominence driving the money that i think is is forcing talk about moving to um uh, uh, this, these new conferences or these conference alignments that uh, that really are are all about money and aren't going to improve Carolina's competitive advantage. We can go to the Southeastern Conference. We could we could generate another twenty or thirty million dollars. But are we going to beat Alabama and Georgia and football on a regular basis? I doubt it seriously. I mean, there are a lot of other considerations.
1: And then we also, in conference realignment, are adding expenses because now we've got transcontinental conferences where uh, a school in, well, like the, the three additions to the ACC, that's going to increase travel expense. But here's the thing that bothers me more about that than anything else. It's not just the expense. You're taking the students out of the classroom an extra day or two just for travel.
2: That's right. That's right. And, uh, you know, one of the NCA rules is... Uh, or at least I I think it's still on the books, you have to take 12 semester hours uh, of classes. Well, if you're working a 40-hour week and traveling around the country uh, in competition, 12 hours may not not sound like a full load, but it's more than a full load if you're taking substantive classes at the university level. Uh, And so, yeah, I mean, it's just and they're talking about well okay we won't we won't do this travel for the olympic sports or for some women's sports well you know that are you separating your sports now so that you know the if you're generating revenue you travel around the country if you're not you know you're confined to your region i i mean again i keep wanting solutions from the leaders of our universities to say there, there's got to be a way to do this.
1: And then, you know, one thing that we have not mentioned in our talk so far, another complicating factor is Title IX. You might want to explain what Title IX is.
2: Well, it, in, in a nutshell, you know, they they can't, or the universities uh, can't be spending uh, money and creating athletic programs that primarily benefit males without at least a comparable, um, a program on the women's sports side and gosh you look at UNC uh, ha- how incredibly successful women's soccer and women's uh, field hockey ha- has been uh, and women's basketball is doing great now I, I mean so there's there's value to that but you're not generating the revenue in those sports but legally you've got to do it so you know part of the rationale I think for the money chase is we have to be able to fund our women's sports but but let's take the golf team for example you don't need to travel to pebble beach uh, you know to play golf whether it's a women's tournament or men's tournament you got great golf courses just in the carolinas that you can have superb competitions with and so but it's this sense of we've got to be a national image we've got to be a national program and it costs money which then drives the uh the train on on chasing dollars whether it's new media contracts or conference realignment
1: well it's it's such a complicated situation as we said it's it's so uh uh we haven't even in, introduced the fact that uh, to add to the perfect storm the transfer portal which uh, <laughs> now makes it uh, possible for students to change schools and uh that creates quite a challenge for the coaches. I, I I think we probably want to spend almost an entire section of this program just on that alone. Yeah. Uh, is there, is it, uh, you know, what, what are we going to do about coaches salaries? Because, you know, it's, it, you, it's illegal to tell people the, how much they can earn. Yeah.
2: They actually, I think it was litigation years ago when they tried to put some limits on, on maybe it was assistant coaches salaries. Um, yeah. It's a free market. and, uh you know i mean the crazy thing is it's not just the money it's well we're going to give you an eight-year contract and two years later when your team is six and five you get fired like uh jimbo uh El- phillips elliot like elliot whatever the guy from fisher jimbo fisher, fisher, yeah. yeah from texas a&m they're paying him 75 million dollars not to work <laughs> i mean uh that's just that's beyond sanity
1: uh, well, I mean, that's a whole, a whole industry of uh, agents representing not only coaches, but also players.
2: Well, I, I'm one that says, uh, again, if, if the, if the universities could retake control of athletics, you know, their university employees, maybe there's a supplemental deal for being a coach, but you know, these coaches are killing themselves working, uh, 80 hour weeks. And if you're getting paid $7 million, I guess it makes sense. But I think you could probably go back. George Barkley used to pump gas at the Texaco station, didn't he? I mean, you know, so uh, anyway, it's again, it's the universities have to take control.
1: In the next segment, I want to talk a little bit about the collectives, because now uh, it, what's so interesting is that you've got a group that is not controlled by the university raising money to, to offer to students under the name of name, image, and likeness to go to a particular school. And these collectives, uh, I mean, clearly there's got to be some co- connection between them and the coaches. And yet uh, the NCA. And the schools sort of say, well, it's really separate. It's really separate. I don't think it can be separate. I don't see how the world can be separate. Uh, So anyway, we'll do that. Our guest is Bob Orr, who, as we said, is a longtime Supreme Court justice, but has now become very much involved in college athletics and the uh, litigations that uh, uh, some of the students are having with NCAA. We'll be back right after these messages.
3: When it comes to making plans, you are the best. What about those round trips that you plan in advance, which are perfect on your way there, and perfect on your way back? Or those meetings with friends for which you make a group chat three months before so that nobody or anything is missing? Or your daughter's first birthday party? You planned it with such dedication that instead of the first, it felt like our quince. The same way you plan each detail for those moments. Start planning to protect you and your loved ones from a natural disaster. Sign up for local weather and emergency alerts, prepare an emergency kit, and make a family communications plan. Protecting your family is the best plan you can make. Get started at ready.gov plan.
0: Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council.
3: The galaxy is <laughs> safe once
0: again. In the pretend universe, kids play with pretend guns. In the real world, it's up to us to make sure they don't get their hands on a real gun. If you have a gun in the house, keep it locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Safe gun storage saves lives. Learn how to make your home safer at nfamilyfire.org. That's nfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by nfamilyfire, Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. Now once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis.
1: We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Our topic this week, college athletics and the unique situation that college athletics finds itself in due to the name, image, and likeness problems, the transfer portal, conference realignment, Title IX, all these sorts of things, and of course, mainly the demand of the fans of each individual school, and everybody is guilty, everybody is guilty of wanting to win. And right. everybody can't win. It's just, you know, if you're going to play 100 games, there's going to be 100 winners and 100 losers. <laughs> That's right. uh, and uh, so everybody is trying to use money to assure that they will be in the group that wins more than they lose. And uh, uh, it's not a zero-based game. It's uh, somebody's got to lose. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about the, the, uh, the effect the transfer portal has now because with the name image and likeness money that's out there you've got a group of people called collectives who are not theoretically connected with the school they're fans and boosters of that school raising money and all the schools are doing it. Right. There's, there's nobody that i know of that's not raising some uh, and so they then negotiate with these students to go to a particular school and theoretically there's no connection or no coordination with the, uh, with the coaching staff. I, I don't know how that can happen.
2: Well, uh, yeah, I mean, they know what the, their football team needs. Uh, if you need a quarterback, that's what you're out in your collective, you know, looking for quarterbacks, looking to transfer. Uh, and uh, again, it's, it's the NCAA throwing up their hands early in the process and and leaving this huge void for high dollar boosters of, of university athletic programs to put together, whether it's collectives or whatever type of legal entity that skirts around the whole idea of you know, letting letting athletes benefit from their name image likeness. And they're now using it as sort of blatant incentives and inducements to uh, transfer. And in some cases, I'm sure uh, for recruits, you know, who would be freshmen on campus. But, but there's a lot of it, obviously, in the transfer portal. And, you know, I, I think... That Some of the collectives are creative. I know, what, I think State has one that they do charitable work. Well, you know, I'm all for that. But, you know, the the, the idea was, uh, you know, for college athletes to be able to benefit from their name image likeness, not create an industry for buying and selling and trading athletes to jump from one school to the other.
1: And, of course, you're seeing college athletes now in television commercials, which uh, they negotiate. Uh, And uh, I had a a well-known coach tell me that he spends now more time talking to agents than he does to parents. And that's legal. Yeah. It's legal.
2: (laughs) Well, you know, and and I would have to say one of my complaints 10 years ago, when 12 years ago, when I first sort of got in all this, um, was an athlete couldn't have an agent. And it's like you know, as a lawyer, I think you're entitled to a lawyer. You're entitled to somebody to look out for your your best interest. But you know, now they've just expanded it again so that it's wide open. And um, you know, one of the reasons you see these young men opting out of bowl games uh, is because their agents are saying, you know, you're you know, I've got. Uh, $20 million contract here if you're drafted in the top top 10. And uh, if you get hurt, that's gone. You know, it's crazy to risk risk the money here. And one, the, one point I want to make about the portal and the system is, I think, Don, when we were going to school, we went to Chapel Hill or other people went to State or East Carolina because that's where we wanted to go to school. It wasn't about playing necessarily playing a sport. Now, I think probably 75% of athletes make their college decision based upon sports, and not because they necessarily want to be the University of North Carolina. Now, you may see a kid like um, uh, Drake May, whose family, obviously, has close ties to Carolina, do that. But, you know, I I on a personal note, my, my oldest granddaughter is a, very good high school soccer player, and she's accepted a financial package from a D3 school in Pennsylvania to play soccer. And it's a fine school, but it was sort of out of left field that she made the decision to go there. And she's going there because she's having an opportunity to play soccer as opposed to saying, "Gee, this is really where I wanted to go to school." Ever since I was in in grade school, and so if, if you don't have that tie to the university or the college, it's easy if you're not getting playing time or you don't like the coaches or the coaches uh, move to another job to say, "All right, I'm out of here," you know. And I, I I think, I mean, I'd love to go back to the old days where. Most of the students pick their colleges and universities because that's where they wanted to go to school and and where they wanted to be, not because of sports.
1: And, of course, part of the transfer portal is probably good because coaches uh, in recruiting do make mistakes. They uh, see an athlete, and when he gets on campus, he turns out that he's not as good as perhaps they thought he or she were, uh, were going to be. And so this gives them a chance to go to a, maybe another school where they um, are not po- probably as competitive, or go down to a Division two or Division three school and still play sports. And so part of the transfer portal concept, I think, is is healthy. Unfortunately, it's gotten mixed in with the collectives.
2: Yes, yes. You know, it's 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 not because I, I want an opportunity to play, but you know. I want an opportunity to play, but most importantly, I'm going to get $250,000, uh, to do it. And if that's not an employee employer situation, I really don't know what it is. And that's, I know that's sort of an anathema to college sports fans to, to say we've got to go ahead and recognize that at least in the revenue sports and maybe in a lot of these, uh, it's an employer employee relationship and you can, um, you can negotiate, you know, you, you have contracts, you have people representing each side uh, or, or each group. And, uh, you know, we we hate to see that happening. But, I mean, that's really where we are.
1: You have alluded to several times where uh, several people, have, in, in many cases, it's the institution or NCA saying Congress is the solution uh as you pointed out congress has trouble balancing the budget and uh even keeping the government working uh i'm not sure uh that i don't this uh, that i don't uh totally agree with you that that's about the last person i uh, or institution i want to settle the situation but what kind of legislation could they consider
2: well they're talking about giving the uh the ncaa an antitrust exemption because most of the litigation has involved some sort of antitrust, and I don't purport to be an expert on antitrust, on but but uh, you know the, it's the, the way Congress works is just totally unrealistic. And, and my question is, well, would four hundred and thirty-five House members and hundred senators do a better job of solving this problem than a thousand highly educated presidents and chancellors of universities? Uh, it, it's it's having the will to do it that is lacking, uh, and you know, I mean, I, uh, I, I just, I just think it's ill-conceived to, to say that Congress, by passing laws, it's kind of like the NCAA passing rules. We're going to solve cheating in sports by passing, you know, a four hundred-page rule book and then hiring ten guys and ladies to to enforce those rules it's just not going to work so whatever legislation they put through uh I, I think you would you would find minimal success and you know and we'll just keep fighting in court and uh the like so uh I, I I'm a big I wish Bill Friday was still around and he could uh, lead a national uh movement on behalf of college sports to get get Leaders in the academic fields uh, to come together to bring some sanity to what is now uh, a chaotic situation.
1: At one point in time, the NCAA did try to enforce the staff sizes, and of course, some of the staffs. Now, I think the, uh, as I understand, the average size of a football staff at uh, most of the major universities is around sixty people. You yeah. got eighty-five people on scholarship, and you got sixty people coaching.
2: <laughs> <laughs> All of them are making a lot of money.
1: <laughs> it just seems like there's almost one to a person. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah,
2: it is. It is. And and Don, I know we're we're sort of moving towards the uh, close of uh, our our talk here, but I want to put a pitch in for a book that you may be familiar with. It's called The Cloud Buster Nine. Uh, the authors are Miss Keene, K E E N E uh and miss williams who are the uh, she's the daughter of ted williams uh and it's about the navy pre-flight efforts at unc during uh world war ii and all of the uh uh, people who came through chapel hill to serve getting ready to go off into serving the military during the war and about the baseball teams you know ted williams playing baseball in Emerson field and hitting home runs over Lenore hall. It's just, a, it's, it's a really interesting read. If you're interested in uh, history and the Navy and world war II and baseball and UNC, it, it, it's a, uh, uh, really fascinating, uh, book.
1: You know, one of the, I, I, someone gave me that book at Christmas. I have not started reading it, but I, I, I this is a, another inducement to me to, uh, get on that but i i've heard a number of people talk about it being interesting you know uh there is precedent at the universities for athletes to become employees in the fact that graduate students are uh employees because they teach sure Uh, do you think this is one of the things that might happen at some point in time that athletes may actually just become employees of the university or the schools
2: yeah i i think is is distasteful as it sounds, it's the most practical solution, Uh, and it's moving towards a professional sports model in that the employees would have an organization that negotiates with the university about work conditions, uh, health insurance coverage of of injuries and the like, Uh, and so it's a way to put some limitation. I mean, they have salary caps in the pros, but essentially, we have no salary caps in college sports, which is a, a hugely inconsistent uh, circumstance. And so, um, yeah, I mean, the the models there. It's just that the NCAA has been so wedded to amateurism and insisting since the days of Walter Byers that that the athletes are really students first, uh, and therefore they can't be employees. Uh, and I, I think that, that horse is out of the barn and eventually that's where we're going to have to go.
1: I remember having a conversation with uh, president Friday and he, he used that. He said, uh, Don, we got to put the horse back in the barn. And my comment, uh, this was shortly before he died. I said, uh, president Friday, with all due respect, we should have listened to you earlier, but the truth of the matter is it's not the house, it's out the horse is out of the barn, the toothpaste is out of the tube and it's, <laughs> impossible to put toothpaste back into a too
2: <laughs>
1: so i think that's kind of the problem yeah. well we've got one final segment and in that final segment i do want to talk about uh, uh the future as you see it of the ncaa uh some additional solutions of perhaps things that we haven't talked about uh and uh and the other thing i want to ask you is where is all this money coming from because i uh, there's a tremendous amount of money that's just suddenly surfacing from all over the place. I, I, I'm I'm not sure I understand where it's all coming from. Our conversation is with uh, uh, former Supreme Court Justice Robert Orr, and we're talking about college athletics, of which he has become an expert and a, a recognized voice that everyone listens to these days. We'll be back right after these messages. You stay tuned.
3: Adopt U.S. Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting. A teenager.
0: I'm a 40-year-old man that walked in there to get his high school diploma. It was very hard for me, but Ms. Araceli, she gave me direction. At age 47, Marco finished his high school diploma. 50% of getting your high school diploma is walking through those doors. The other 50% is doing the work. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis.
1: We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week is former North Carolina Supreme Court Justice Robert Orr, who has now become more famous for his work and uh, his representation of college athletes in their dealings with the NCAA, and has become sort of an expert on the transfer portal, and the name, image, and likeness problem, the collectives, uh title nine and conference realignment uh where where is it all going to end and and uh what's your forecast the the thing that kind of bothers me and I, I would like for you to respond to this is it looks like to me there's about 40 or 50 schools in the country that can afford all this so do we get down to a, a very small group of schools that are in one division and then there's uh, uh, we create another division for the rest of the schools. Is that a possibility?
2: Well, you you already have D1, D2, D3. So you've got some level of competition uh, for it. I think that the models that I keep seeing sports experts talk about is somewhat like the the NFL model where, you have two major entities in this case the southeast conference and call it the big 10 or whatever the big whatever and and then within those 30 team 30 school uh conferences they're divided up on on geographical basis which is sort of like the conference structure we have but but it's it's run essentially like the NFL now do they do that only for football and maybe basketball um I don't know that that again the the decision would have to be made that we're going to treat the revenue sports differently from from non-revenue sports uh and then what happens to the concept of traditional conferences you know certainly I think your D2 D3 schools will continue to main kind of a traditional uh, uh, maintain a traditional conference concept but it looks like the power five schools of which the schools we care about here in north carolina are part of um you know are, are going to be you know, sort of cut loose from the traditional atlantic coast conference i mean yeah, i i love the concept of the atlantic coast conference and so uh the the thought of UNC or state coming part of the southeastern conference and then put in some sort of geographical subdivision you know to play just it, you know it's not not what i want to see but that's where everybody says we're headed unless you know the the schools themselves can extricate themselves from this mess and i just have not seen uh, the leadership or or willingness to make some really really hard hard decisions and
1: um you know what a lot of fans are confused about the quality of a, a school's football or basketball program when indeed it's all about television markets for example uh clemson has a very good football program won some national championships right. and all that sort of thing. But they're in South Carolina. Yeah. Uh, and the television markets are not that big. Whereas uh, North Carolina and North Carolina State, for example, are in North Carolina, the ninth largest state in the union, and a big television market. And yeah, so and the, course- the conference realignment it has more to do with population and fan base than it does with uh, the, the quality of the athletic programs.
2: Well, it, it it does but the medium but the the media market is what entices the the networks uh, and the streaming services whatever to pour money into schools within that that media market uh, but you're still not gonna I mean as as you noted before East Carolina app State UNC Charlotte um, you know they're not going to um, benefit, even even though they're in good television markets, you know they're having to compete against the major power five schools, and you know, I mean I, I I think between litigation, a failure to get any solution that actually works out of the Congress, uh, you know we're headed down this path where money continues to drive all of the decision making. And ultimately, you may see some schools. I mean, what does Wake Forest Forest and Duke do if, you know, if the other schools, you know, in in the natural rivalry group, you know, split off? Uh, I mean, I think that hurts. That hurts everything, even if we play them in basketball as a Southeast conference versus whatever conference they may be in. Uh, it's it's just not going to be the same.
1: Yeah, the traditional rivalries uh, are all at, at risk, uh, and, and of course you also got some rivalries. Whereas I I, I understand that Florida is not really excited about Florida State joining the SEC if they <laughs> right. ever join because it, all of a sudden it, it takes away some of their their glamour, and uh, so there's there's so much going on that it's, it's really hard to sort of forecast what's what's going to end up happening. The other thing I was going to ask you about, these collectives, of course, are not governed uh, by the schools or the NCAA. What happens if a collective promises a player five or $600,000, uh, but it's $125,000 a year? And what happens if the collective fails to raise the money? Does the student that uh, signed on, do they have a contract? Do they have any security at all?
2: Well, I, I, I sure hope they have contracts and I hope they have legal representation before they go signing any agreements with these these collectives. And it, it's you know, it's sort of a, a sad context that seventeen year olds, you know, need to go out and be hiring uh, you know, high priced lawyers to negotiate these deals. And and I'm hearing now that it's it's trickling down into elite uh, high school players.
1: Yes. I hear that too. Yeah.
2: So it's, it's a system that is completely out of control. No one quite knows how to, how to get even a a decent handle on it. And we live in a capitalistic free market society. So it's like, you know, you can't just unilaterally put restraints on it. Uh, and it, it ultimately, I think, and I've come back to this point probably a dozen times in our conversation it really comes down to university leadership you know that you got to say this is the model we want for our school and it's in the best interest of our school and the best interest of our students and if if we don't make as much money as the people down the road so be it this is what we've chosen for our institution and and you know then hopefully you have a number of leaders at universities i mean can you tell me that the presidents of duke wake unc state uh uva you know can't sit down and come up with a model that we all enjoy? you know a sports model for their students that that we enjoy and and get fired up about but Aren't part of some insane money race. Uh, I mean, they're, they're, I just have to believe that they have the capacity to do it. They just have to have the willingness to do it. And so, and fans like us have to have the the willingness to support them in this effort. Uh, if if the people who support the university don't want that, if if the powers that be that love UNC and NC State feel like it's all about competing for the national title in football uh, or the final four in basketball then you know the chancellor's hands are uh, essentially tied so there's a responsibility on uh, on fans and alumni to say this is the model we want for our university now let's go get it get it done
1: you alluded earlier to the fact that there will probably be two major major conferences the sec and the big ten what does that say to the future of the ncaa as an organization
2: well i think there are those that would like to see college football that entity which is essentially a separate financial entity now um just cut ties with the ncaa and the ncaa becomes uh, an organization that runs championships, and um, you know, is sort of a clearinghouse for general athletics across the campus and across a variety of of schools, and uh, and then there's some that say if the NCA keeps on its current path, it's just going to blow up. It will be no longer a functional uh, organization, and the schools are going to either have to start from scratch uh, or, or figure something out purely along conference lines. And, you know, there's some uh, folks that think, okay, well, let conference conferences govern the schools and the conference. Now, does that mean Alabama might have a competitive advantage against this? Yes, but they've got it already under the present system. So, uh, uh, So maybe we see the NCAA just fade away and, and the conferences become, you know, the, the administrative bodies for athletics for the universities.
1: And as you have pointed out numerous times, there's a big difference between the, the major revenue sports of basketball and football and the rest of the athletic programs. Although some of these problems carry over, uh, into the other sports as well. Uh, it's, uh, it is a complicated mess. Bob, how long do you think? it's going to be before we have some solutions to this. Is this a three-year problem, a five-year problem?
2: You know, I hate to be a pessimist, Don.
1: but It's uh, easy to be one. Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, you know, I, I mean, I look at the problems that our country has. And it's like, surely we can come up with some loose solutions for our country. Uh, and, you know, when we're talking about athletics now, college athletics, I, you know, I think there will be Band-Aid approaches um, and and efforts by the powers that be to try and you know put some sort of limits on all of this. But you know, people if they don't like those limits, they're going to go to court and they may have a good leg to stand on. So there go there go your your limitations. I, I'm not very optimistic that that we're going to see any significant changes, uh, in my lifetime. Anyway, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty discouraging. Although college sports is flourishing.
1: Yeah. You know? I mean, people are still, uh, and i i I'm in that group. I mean, it, it's, it's, uh, it's a complicated situation, Bob Orr. Uh, I so much appreciate your insights and all this. You are so, Uh, so knowledgeable and have had so much experience. It's great to share this with our listeners. uh, If you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and hear the entire broadcast. Or if you'd like to share it with a friend, and I would imagine there are a lot of you that are sports fans that will be doing that. Again, it's carolinanewsmakers.com. Our program has been produced by Jason Kong, and he promises me he'll have another interesting guest next week on this same group of stations all across North Carolina. The next week, have a good week, everybody.
0: Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald, inviting you to join us again next week, same time for Carolina Newsmakers.